message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated this morning, you can open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 43, 44. Again, we're going to try to to cover two different uh, chapters here this morning. It's hard to break up this story. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some Bibles. It may not be directly in front of you, but uh, somewhere uh, kind of in the seat in front of you, uh, down there toward the bottom, there are some extra Bibles. If you uh, don't have a Bible at home uh, that, that you're able to use, we'd love for you to take one of these. Just write your name in it and take it, and that can be your Bible. We really do uh, want you to have God's Word throughout the week. If you are using one of those few Bibles, uh, it's, it just happens to be on... Um, uh, page 43 and page 44, and you can follow along. Now, because we've been in this series for about five or six weeks now, I, it, it's impossible for me to go all the way back to the very beginning and still cover uh, new stuff today. And so we're getting into a, the depth of the story where I can't do a full review. So if you're just kind of with us for the first day, we do apologize. Maybe you're familiar with the story, uh, just kind of in general, about Joseph. If you're here this morning, you don't know who Joseph is. I pray that still that you'll, you'll be able to glean kind of uh, some of the, 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 this redeeming truth that we see here. Because when we come into chapter 43 and 44, uh, we're just leaving a time that up to this point, every message has been just filled with hope and encouragement of just God's graciousness and his kindness. And, and last week, we finally came to a place where oh, we kind of see this justice of God. We see God convicting Joseph's brothers are at least starting that conviction process uh, of the sin that they had done 20 plus years earlier. And, you know, again, if we just want to pick, okay, do we want the happy God? Do we want this, you know, this grace giving God? Or do we want this God that's, uh, you know, going to kind of make sure that business is done? We always side toward this God of grace. But you don't get to pick who God is. He is all of that. His grace is and his justice are one and the same. He's the fullness of all those things. And so we're not to separate these qualities of God. He's the fullness of all of those. You will never have a time when God is unjust. There's never been a time that God's not giving grace. He's all of those things all of the time. And he's not God. Here's the part that I really want you to, to kind of grasp. He's not God because he does those things. He's God because he is those things. He is God. So it's not, God doesn't go to work in the morning and go, okay, today I've got to be just and I've got to be graceful. No, he is. We have to measure up to things. And so we kind of have to apply that in our heart to, to be a certain way. And God doesn't. He's just that way. The closest that we will ever get, I, I think the closest that we ever get to kind of understanding that is, do you have to try to be mom or dad? If you're a parent, do you have to try to be mom or dad? Or does it just kind of ooze out of you? You just love your kids. And there's certain things. Justice happens in your house, maybe. Grace happens in your house, hopefully. And, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, you have to kind of purpose those things. But that love for your children, it just kind of comes. Well, this is God. And what we saw last week is he begins to convict the hearts of Joseph's brothers because of what had happened 20-plus years before. Something that they thought maybe was, you know, gone with the wind. And it was truly, you know, was... Kind of hidden in the past, and, and nobody had ever brought it up. They never were held accountable for it. And yet, we see through some of the scripture that it was always kind of, at least in the back of their mind, and we begin to see that um, 
they begin to react when God begins to convict in the same way that you and I do. There's usually three ways that we begin to react when God starts to point out rebellious hearts or sinful hearts. One is that we dismiss it, that we just say, you know, I didn't do that. And we just try to say, somehow <laughs> to refuse to God that, that we really did do that. And yet we see this throughout the scripture that when God confronts man with his sin and his rebellion, that sometimes we take that position, I, I didn't do that. But sometimes we, we don't so much dismiss it as we try to decrease it. And we try to say, well, it's not that bad. I can point to a lot of others that have done a lot worse. And that's actually the third technique. That's to deflect. So whether when God confronts you with your sin, sometimes it's going to be, okay, I dismiss that, I try to decrease that, or I try to deflect that and try to point out somebody who's done even worse. All of those are not handling our sin. And yet there are natural human tendencies to any time that somebody would point something out negative. And it doesn't have to be God who's doing that. It can be other people in our lives. It can be our spouse. And they point something else and we try to dismiss it, we try to deflect it, we try to decrease it. That's just a natural human response to any time that somebody shines light and points out something that we have done in sinfulness or in rebellion. Well, here's the deal. God begins to do this in their lives. He begins to correct them, uh, convict them of, of, of sin even from 20 years ago. And what we said last week, and I hope that this sank in, is that really this was a form of grace. God's conviction of sin in our lives. I know it doesn't feel good when we want to keep it in the dark, and all of a sudden he gets this spotlight, and he shines down that spotlight, and he makes our sin aware. But guys, what a beautiful picture of grace in action, because when we want to kind of brush it aside, and we just kind of don't want to deal with it, we never have resolve. We never have restoration, and we never have repentance in our lives. But when God puts that light on, it does force with us to deal with it. And at least then maybe we have opportunity to come to a place of repentance, that is to change our mind about that, and maybe even restoration, that that which was broken from that sin can be restored. That could be relationships, that could be something in our own life, in our own mind and heart. This is gracious of God. doesn't feel good, but it's gracious. So dealing with our sin, get this, is a hard thing, but it's a good thing. In the long run, it's a hard thing, but it's a good thing. And that's where we pick up this account today. Joseph's brothers, uh, they have made their way to Egypt for food because there's a famine in the land. There's about, we'll find out that there's a, they're about two years into this famine. Uh, It's not to the point where, okay, we just can't buy the good groceries in our homeland. No, they can't buy groceries in their homeland. It's not just that they want to go to a fancier place to go shopping. They just don't have anything where they live. And so they head out to Egypt because they've heard that there's food there. They go, and last week we begin to see that they have this first confrontation with their brother Joseph, and yet they don't know that it's Joseph, but he is very much aware that it is them. And yet he reacts with kindness, with compassion, and yet with a little bit of an agenda. And that agenda is to kind of let them sweat a little bit. And, And we can sit there and say, okay, is he doing that just because this has been burning in his life for 20 years? Oh, you sold me into slavery? I will show you. Or is he working even toward this end? By the grace of God, by the, the God's spirit moving in his life, 
It's Joseph cooperating with the Spirit of God of bringing conviction to his brothers. And if you had to get me to vote, I would vote for the latter. I'm not saying that I would do that. I would have said, okay, guys, you're going to pay. And revenge would have been first on my mind and not repentance. So I burns you. I can promise you that one of the first natural responses is revenge rather than their repentance and their restoration. It's a natural human feeling. And yet I really do believe that God is so working in Joseph's life that maybe there's that little thought of revenge. Maybe when he's doing some of these things that are bringing to light their sin of the past, that he's not saying, well, it's kind of, kind of good to see them sweat a little bit here. But I don't know how genuine that would be because I really think that he is a man who truly is reflecting God's purposes here. All to say that they uh, are there, they are accused of being spies in the land, and uh, they end up having one of them has to stay. They bring the others, the others come home with uh, plenty of food, and when they get home, uh, some of them on the way and others when they get home, they find out all the money that they were supposed to give for this food has been back in their sacks, and, and it's, it's back in the bags with all this, and they really become fearful. And for the first time, we really see them begin to respond in a way that acknowledges that God could be working. Look again, last week, verse uh, 28 of chapter 42. They open up these bags. They find the money that should have been spent there. They're already been accused of spies. Now they're going to be accused of thieves because they have their money. They're going to, you know, somehow it's going to be told that, that, that they stole this money back. And he said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. And at this their hearts failed them. In other words, this stressed them out a whole bunch, okay? Almost like their hearts stopped. And they turned trembling to one another and they said, Who is this that God, or what is this that God has done to us? It's the first time that we see them mention God at all. These are pretty rebellious guys. These are not, uh, you know, uh, guys that you just would trust your children to. (laughs) These guys have a long, really kind of despicable, very uh, 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 sinful hearts. And yet for the first time, they begin to realize that this is bigger than themselves and that God is in action here. And so uh, they come back home. uh, They have provision for a while, but then that provision runs out. And so it's time for the dad, Jacob, also he's called Israel sometimes here. He says, okay, guys, you're going to have to go back to get more food. They said, okay, dad, there's only one problem with that. The guy who sold us, the guy who's in charge of everything, the man, they don't know it's Joseph. This governor who's in charge of all the food. He said that the only way that we can get more food is if we bring our youngest brother, Benjamin, back with us that he will not allow us to come in uh, the town. He will not allow us to have more grain and more food unless we bring Benjamin back. And Jacob's reaction is, guys, how could you have done this? Why did you even tell him that you had a younger brother? And he said, Dad, the the question was pretty direct. We were kind of sweating there. And he asked if we had a father who was still living. And he asked if we had any other brothers. And we told him that there was one other brother. So he has knowledge, and there's no way he's going to give us food if we don't bring Benjamin back. And for the longest time, Jacob said no to that. In fact, there's a verse in it that says, uh, 
finally, when he gives the allowance that Benjamin can go, he said, well, we could have already been there back and, back and forth twice by this time. In other words, the, Jacob has a real hesitancy to let Benjamin go. Now, why is that? I know, I know usually the, the sermon is the pastor talking. Why does Jacob not want his youngest son, Benjamin, to go? What is it about Benjamin that we know from this story and we know from the first seven chapters here, why does he not want Benjamin to go? Yes. Just what every one of y'all says. This is the favorite son. And this runs in the family. that, that it, It's been passed down for generations that, that dad plays favorites, and he has a favorite son, and now it is Benjamin because Joseph is gone. And one of the reasons why Joseph, I mean by Benjamin, is so much the favorite is, number one, he is the baby of the family. I think most of us can relate to that. If you've had siblings that are younger to you, just life wasn't fair once they got born, okay, because you weren't the baby anymore, okay? And there's a special holding of the baby of the family, the youngest in the family. The other part is this was the other son that was born by Rachel, and that was his true love. He had these other handmaidens. He had, you know, other wives, if you want to say it that way. But this, Joseph and Benjamin, as Rachel... And then, do you know what happened to Rachel in, in giving birth in, in, of Benjamin? She dies. So this is a very special child. And, and he's protecting Benjamin and this legacy for all that it's worth. And so uh, uh, it comes to a place where he, just, you know, he doesn't want Benjamin to go. But look what happens. Chapter 43. Let's go down to verse 8 and 9. And Judah said to Israel, his father... Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also the little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and send him before, set him before you, then let me be the blame of that forever. In other words, Dad, there's no other way that we can get food. We're all going to die here of starvation if we don't go. I'm putting my life at stake. Benjamin doesn't come back. Your favorite son, I'm forever to be the blame of that. You might think, well, why would he do that? Number one, I think that there's some conviction, there's some maturity that's happening in his life. We're going to see that progress a little bit later on. I don't think it's just selfish to say, hey, if we don't take Benjamin, we, we don't get to eat. I, I think he really is responding in a pretty magnanimous way, so unlike he did just chapters ago when it was all about himself and his own uh, joy and his own happiness. So finally, Jacob concedes. He says, okay, he can go. Uh, but he says, make sure that since this money came back with you, take twice the money this time so they cannot accuse you of being thieves. And, and take these other gifts too. Look at verse 11 and 12. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the lamb in, in, of the land in your bags uh, and carry a present down to the man. A little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and, and almonds. He said, take this, plus take twice the money. And, and that way, you're just covered. He can't make these accusations against you. They go down there. They take Benjamin with them. Um, Joseph, they come before Joseph again. They, they see this, uh, this sign of desperation. Um, they sit before him. And Joseph, knowing that they're coming back, he plans for a, for a big feast 
and his house. So here you are. You're the brothers. You're already kind of wondering. They've already accused us of being spies. Now they could accuse us of being thieves. And you get into town. They recognize you. And they said, hey, you, come over here. You and your brothers. And you have Benjamin with you. You've been invited to Joseph's house. Now, under normal circumstances, that could mean a party. That could be fun. That could be a good thing. We get to go eat at the governor's house. But they're already pretty unsure about this whole situation. They're going, okay, the odds are already stacked against us. It's already like there's this bias against us. Is he going to bring us to his house and is he going to bring a final conviction to us and throw us into jail? Is this what's going to happen? Look at verse 18. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks for the first time that we were brought in, so that we might uh, assault that he might assault us and fall upon uh, to make his servants and, and seize our donkeys. In other words, they said, we're, we're doomed here. This is all a plot. He's going to bring us in. He's going to accuse us of taking this money. In other words, they think that the odds are just against them. There's no way that this is going to come out for good. They come in. The guy answers the door. Joseph doesn't answer the door. One of his stewards does. And they go, look, from the very beginning, have you ever had one of your child, uh, your children, they did something, they know that they are toast. They, they know that there's no way they can get out of it. And you don't even have to ask them. You open the door to their bedroom. Or you open the door to whatever it is. And they just start, start spilling the beans. Have you ever had that happen? I mean, there's times that we have to get a confession out of our kids. But there's some other times that just by the, the work of God in their little hearts and their little minds, you open that door. It, it was me. It was me. <laughs> I, I did it. I, I didn't mean to. It's all broken, Mom. I'm sorry. That's about what happens here. They go to Joseph's house. The steward opens the door. And they say, look, we didn't take the money, but we realize that that's your kind of appearance of this. We brought twice the amount of money. We bought all these gifts and everything. And, and then they said, they almost get almost a little bit adversarial saying, okay, but we apologize. This is the truth. But they really start to assume that maybe this is all a setup and that this is going to be the time that this governor, Joseph, has the final kind of call against them. Joseph comes in and gives them something they didn't expect, a big feast. Now, if there's famine in the land, and you've been eating just the basics, and you go off to a distant land, and someone prepares you for a feast, a feast for you, are you pretty excited about that? Now, remember, this is 10 guys, or 11 guys. Now, Every guy in the world, we're going, yeah. yeah you, I've been eating, you know, just hot dogs and beans. And all of a sudden you say, we're going to have steak? This is a good thing. So they have this feast. Uh, the, Joseph and his, I mean, or the brothers are sitting in one place. Joseph is sitting all by himself. And the Egyptians that are there are sitting by themselves because it was law that they couldn't eat with the Hebrews. And so they're all eating. And uh, they get all this good food. And they find out when they, it's almost like they had place settings. And they find out that they're kind of lined up in age categories as far as by age. And they're going, oh, great. How would they even know this? How do they know who the oldest is? How do they know the youngest is? And it, you know what? When something's on the back of your mind and you're worried about it and your conscience is bothering you already, how you start to see things, whether they are intended to be seen that way or not, 
one of those things that all of a sudden their consciousness is very, very active, and they see that they're lined up in age order, in chronological order of their ages, and they're going, this didn't just happen. There is something, there's a purpose going on here. And they see it as something that's not good for them. Well, I know we're covering and we're really going fast, but uh, we need to to kind of get through all this. We, we begin to see this, this work that's going on there. And they're very afraid at this point. Look what happens in verse 30. They're eating, they're having this feast. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother. He saw sought a place to, to weep. And he entered his chamber and he wept there. Twenty years. They sold you into slavery. They practically just sold you off to die. Now you have a chance for revenge. You have the opportunity because now you're in control. You're in control of all of Egypt. They come and they're in very much at the inferior place. You have them right where you want them. And yet what happens in Joseph's heart? He's confronted with his brothers. I don't know if it's because he began to see God working in their lives and he sees a little bit of this fear. I don't know it's just because Joseph is this really magnanimous, graceful guy that God's spirit fills and gives him this compassion. I don't know if it's a combination of all that. But instead of Joseph saying, okay, man, I'm just going to really put it to you, his heart is filled with so much compassion that he has to leave the room. And he goes out and he cries and he weeps over this. He's brokenhearted over the situation with his brothers. They continue on this big feast. And, and to balance this out, Joseph still has one more thing that he's going to do to test their hearts. He begins to see God working in their hearts, but he does put one more test before them. He goes to another one of his stewards and he says, okay, look, when they leave, put the money back in their bag again, even though they've just paid. And I want you to take the silver cup, the same cup that he'd been drinking from at this feast. And he said, I want you to place it in the youngest Benjamins into his sack. And, and then they can be on their way. Well, the steward does that. Puts the money back into everybody's sack and they go on their way. Look what happens in chapter 44, verse 3 and 4 now. The unthinkable. The the guys are going back. They got food. They're going, hey, it worked out. We're, We're actually living. And Benjamin is right here. This is good. We survived. Plus, Simeon, their other brother who had been staying, being staying like he was at the Hotel Six, no, he was in jail. He had been in prison. And, you know, he was allowed to go. So all the, the, the brothers are heading home. All 11 brothers are heading home now. And they're thinking, this is good. We have food, provision. We made it. Chapter 44, 44 verse 3 and 4. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent their way with donkeys. And they'd gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, oh, follow after them. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? I want you to question them. Now, they're going to be kind of clueless of what's going on. What do you mean repaid evil for good? We came, we we paid for the the crops and for the food. We're we're just headed home. Look what happens, verse 7 and 8. They said to him, why does my, 
a Lord speaking such words as these. Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? They're going, look, we came and we paid you back that money and we were willing to pay for the crops again that we were taking, the the food that we were taking. We didn't steal from you. And and we certainly wouldn't have taken like the Lord's, he just gave us this great feast. We certainly wouldn't have taken like this prized cup. That's pretty obvious that that's Joe's, or, you know, the, the Lord's, of the, the house, it's pretty obvious that this is his cup. They begin to open each man's sack, from the oldest to the youngest. How many brothers are left? Joseph's not there. Eleven. Start with the oldest. Opens up the sack. No cup. Opens the next up. No cup. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. I, I can only imagine that as they start getting to number nine and ten, they're going... See, it was all a mistake. It's all one big understand, misunderstanding until they come to Benjamin's sack. And I'm thinking that the other brothers are going, look, we might have at least been maybe, maybe we would because we're not the best of guys, maybe think about stealing something, but Benjamin never would. I and mean, if anything, he's kind of the innocent one out of the family. Look what happens. Verse 13, uh, it says that they opened up that sack and, and they saw that there was this cup in there. So then they tore their clothes and every man loaded his donkey and they returned the city. They open up Benjamin's, they find the silver cup and they begin to squirm just for the We're dead. We're dead. And they head back to the city. They take them and they think, okay, we're going to end our lives in prison somewhere. Verse 14, when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell before him to the ground. This is the third time that now that they have bowed before. But in the Hebrew, they fall all the way. They are like falling prostrate before him now. Verse 15, Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? What that meant, he's an Egyptian. Sometimes they would use, quote-unquote, magical powers to find out things. I don't think, and most scholars don't believe that Joseph actually did that, but he's still playing the part of an Egyptian ruler. They don't know that this is their brother. And so he's using really every card in the book to kind of tell them, okay, guys, I got you. Now, this is, is this his heart? No, this is the same guy that just went out and wept the day before. And yet he's using this for one purpose, guys, to see have these men changed. Let me ask you a question this morning. If somebody really hurt you, I'm not talking about a little bit of hurt. I'm talking broke your heart. I mean, changed your life because of some infraction that they've put upon you. If you saw their life transformed by the redeeming power of God, would that be enough for you? I mean, we, we are people that we like revenge. We, we like for justice to be done. But would you agree 
that if you saw sincere change in somebody's life, and this is what the evil that they had done before you, and now you saw, even if it was 20 years later, and you saw that there was sincere change in your life, doesn't that help you forgive a whole bunch more? I don't know about you, but you know, I, I think that I would. The hardest people for me to forgive are the ones that you forgive and then they just go back and they do the same thing to you again. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth time. You're going, okay, man, I don't know that I can keep on forgiving. Those are the ones because you don't see any change in life. If anything, they just maybe get more manipulative. The lies get bigger, more deceitful. And there's nothing in your heart, your humanness, that wants to forgive them. But if you really see a transformation, if you see a changed heart, it really opens up your whole life to kind of forgive them. This is where Joseph is. And so there's one, this last test was about the silver cup being placed in Benjamin's sack and saying, okay, how are these guys going to react to this? This is the test of these brothers' hearts. Verse uh, 15 again, Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divinity? I know what's going on here. Verse 16. Here's the core of our whole study this morning. And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? What's the next line, guys? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Think through this, guys. Were they guilty of stealing the cup? No. Is this the guilt that they're pointing out? What is the guilt that they're pointing out? What happened 20 years ago? God has brought an old sin to their, the, the surface, and this is the weight of what they're feeling. Are they guilty men before Joseph? Yes. They're not guilty of what he accused them of, kind of the setup, but but they're guilty men, and they're going all the way back, 20-plus years back, because this was the real sin that they had in their lives. And graciously, graciously, God has brought that to their attention. Why? So he can just put them under his thumb and say, here's payment, or so that there's an opportunity for repentance to happen in their hearts and their lives. Guys, as much as we squirm, as much as we don't like light being brought into our darkness and our sins being made aware, again, like we said last week, see this as a gracious act of God. Because in the awareness of our sin, there is opportunity for us to repent and change heart and mind and say, God, forgive me. I have sinned against you. Remember King David when he sinned against God and Bathsheba? He does all this stuff. And for almost a year, if not a little bit over a year, David's sin is hidden. And he goes out and he kills Uriah. He does all these other things to kind of cover up his sin. And and there's a part of him that thinks he gets, you know, through with all that. And he's kind of escaped all that. And then God sends the prophet Nathan to David and tells the story. And says, what would you do? King David, you're, you're so smart. You're a smart guy. What would you do in this situation? If a man was having a big feast and instead of taking one of his own lambs to cook, that he, because he's got a thousand lambs, he goes to his neighbor who only has one lamb and he takes that one lamb. Well, David comes back with an answer. 
I'm glad you asked me because I have an opinion on that. Now, Hebrew law said that what he would have to do is repay sheep for sheep. If not, maybe a bonus sheep, just kind of throw it in there. And what, how David, King David responds is that guy needs to die. In other words, he gives a penalty much more severe than what the law would call for. This is our human heart. And we want justice. We want revenge. I owe you a sheep, but man, your life to pay for this. This is what is natural reaction to us. And do you remember in that story of Nathan, the prophet Nathan, sent by God, David, whose sin was just made aware, aware after a year of him trying to cover it up. Nathan, by God's grace, says to David, you're that man. When David hears that, there's a chance of rebellion. There's a time to dismiss or deflect and all those other things that we do with sin. But you know what he does? He becomes brokenhearted, becomes convicted of his sin. And he said, I have sinned before God and before man. Guys, as uncomfortable as we are when, we have to, or when we're confronted by our sin, it is an act of grace. Because then we can respond in an appropriate way and ask for forgiveness and there can be repentance and with repentance can come restoration. And that's what happens here. Their response. God has found out about our guilt. God's the one that knows about this. And Joseph hears this confession and he assures Judah that they... uh, they won't all die. Okay, we just found it in Benjamin's, you know, bag here. So he's the only one that has to die. He's the only one that has to serve out his life in slavery and eventually will die right here. I said that only one would, the only one that was guilty. He's the one that is guilty. Not all of you are going to, y'all can head on back home. This isn't a really good thing to go tell your father. So here's what you hear. This is what I want you to say. This is what we've been working this whole time to get to. 20 years in the making, guys. 20 years in the making. Verse 33 and 34. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant tomorrow. This is Judah. This is that brother. He's not the oldest, but he's the one that's taking responsibility for Benjamin. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back to his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. I can't do this to my brother and I can't do this to my father. This will kill my father. If we come over that horizon in Benjamin and he starts to count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, but where's Benjamin? This will kill my father. So Judah says, Take me instead. This is a pre picture of Christ. This is a pre picture of what Christ does for us. You know, this is the guilty one, but, but okay, can I stand in and will you place their guilt upon me? This is a pre picture of what Christ is going to do for us in the New Testament. And usually Joseph is our Christ type in this story, but Judah 
because of a changed heart, he comes and he does this. Now, you might say, well, that's really magnanimous. I mean, no, it's a changed heart, guys. Let me show you Judas' heart just seven chapters before. Go back to chapter 37. Look at verse 26 and 27. When they were going to kill Joseph, and Judah was the one that stood up and said, no, let's not kill him. We really don't want his blood on our hands. Plus, we can trade him for some money, and we can have a little pocket change. Now, don't think that Judah was, okay, he just didn't really want to kill his brother. He's really being kind of nice here. No, Judah is concerned about one person. And guess who it is? Judah. He didn't want the guilt and the weight of killing his brother. He said, man, maybe this is the way that we can go back. But does he care about his father's feelings? No. Joseph is is the father's favorite. And if he goes home without Joseph, you know, seven chapters before, he is not caring about the father, and he is not caring about Joseph. Seven chapters more, and we get to this place 20-plus years later. And he says, man, I can't do this to my brother, and I sure can't do this to my dad. This is a changed heart. This is transformation. This is the gospel. You didn't get a little bit better because you learned a couple more church rules, guys. God comes in and he takes this heart of stone and he takes it out and he puts it on a heart of flesh. And he takes all of our sin and he puts it on Christ. And Christ obediently dies in our place. This is our hope. Not for us to become better people in over 20 years, kind of get a little bit more mature and start caring about others a little bit more. The only hope is a transformation of our whole life. This is the gospel. Religion is, hey, learn these rules and become a better person. Be more morally aligned with what is right and correct. That's religion. And you can have it. I didn't need religion. I needed a savior. And what we see in happening here, guys, 20 plus years, 20 plus years, is a picture of the gospel and what Christ would accomplish. Here's the $64,000 question for the morning. As you think over this whole 20-plus year account, working to this pivotal moment, which of the following scenarios seems to fit this verse that we're running to more? Does God concern for Joseph to get revenge or is God's concern for the brothers to find repentance? Which one of those is God working toward in this story? And this is great if you're Judah and the brothers. But guys, this is great if you're Joseph too. I mean, Joseph seems much more concerned about repentance taking place than just revenge. And yet, here's the, here's the challenge of our hearts. When somebody burns you, I mean, they really hurt you. I mean, they really hurt you. It wasn't just they called you a name. I mean, they really hurt you, deeply hurt you. Which one of these do you want God working for? At first, I'm just being honest. Go get them, God. <laughs> Get them and teach them a lesson. And I want a little bit of revenge. 
I want God to, to show that might. A lightning bolt or two, just really close, you know, wouldn't be out of the question for me. But in my sinfulness, was God exacting revenge or did he want me to have a heart of repentance? This is our hope, guys. I mean, revenge is going to come naturally to me. Repentance is going to come supernaturally only by the movement of God's Holy Spirit in my life, taking out my old heart and putting in a new heart, transforming the way that I think. Now, here's three applications, and we're going to go. If you've been wronged, even from 20 years past, do not be surprised if God is more concerned about the repentance of your wrongdoer than he is exacting revenge for your hurt. Don't be surprised if God does that. Okay. Application number two. Don't give up on the wrongdoers of your life. People who have done you wrong. Even if it's been 20 plus years. Know that God is a pursuing God and he will pursue them. doesn't mean that he's going to corner them and they have no choice. He gives them free will. Free will here. And yet Judah and his brothers, they respond in this heart of repentance. Why? Because God has persistently pursued them and brought this sin to their attention even 20 plus years later. If you had to deal with a wrongdoer in your life, don't give up on what God wants to do in their life. Third application, and we'll go home. Maybe you're the wrongdoer. And there's something from 20 years past or 10 years past or 30 years past, and you're going, man, if, if there's one day in my life that I could take out and I would just change this one day, I would do that. Know that we have this gracious, loving God who's more concerned about repentance in your life than he is exacting revenge upon your life. See, this is the cross. This is what Christ did. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians, that all of our sin was placed on him and all of his righteousness was imputed to us. What God did there is he said, look, I've already got my revenge for your sin. Your sin has been paid in full. And so even if it was 15, 20, 25 years ago, you're going... And I've tried to be better. I've tried to, I've started going to church. I've done this and I do good for a while, but then I get off the track and I do this and the other. You may have given up on yourself. Don't give up on, on this holiness and this pursuing God. But even 20 years into your sin, graciously, lovingly, brings it to your attention so that you can say, God, I, I, I ask for forgiveness. He says, look, restoration has already been made. Isn't that the, what the steward said when they knocked on the door to the party? Joseph isn't there yet. He said, man, here's our story. We didn't take the money, but we brought double the money. And if you go back, the steward says, it's already been paid for. I looked at your account, and it's paid in full. This is the hope of the gospel. There's not one person in this story, whether you're the wrongdoer, somebody's done wrong to you, whether you're the one waiting, whether you're the one that has been fighting for revenge, no matter who you are in this story, it all points back to one, and that is the hope of the gospel and what Christ has finished and done. 
this is our story. We sang this morning, this is my story, this is my song. We talked about, okay, if I tell you my story, it's going to be about this, this, and this, because this is what Christ has done for me. Don't give up that God can transform a hard heart. If he's done it in your life, I promise you, he can do it in a wrongdoer's life and, and, and that's been affecting you. you're fighting with this taste of revenge just say God you know vengeance is yours God I just want to see repentance we just break their heart to the point where they just they fall down before you like these brothers did before Joseph they just fall down and they confess that they just need your help if you have a son or a daughter you have a mother or a father, if you have a brother or a sister, you have a family member, you have a close, close friend, and your heart just aches because you see them just in this repetitive cycle of sin, have courage this morning. Have courage. God is a pursuing God. And as long as they have breath, there's opportunity, even 20 plus years later, for God to bring about repentance. And from repentance, as we will see next week, don't mean to be a spoiler alert. We will see restoration. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, I, I believe that every one of us, we've had wrong done to us. And Father, we would be the first ones to admit that, that really what comes to mind at first is revenge. And yet, Father, we see the broken heart of Joseph. Father, we see that, that after testing their hearts, he sees the repentance of his brothers. Father, it causes him to weep so much that he has to leave the room. Father, we see in this picture that you're a God. You are a God of justice, but but God, you're not a God of revenge. You're a God that desires repentance and for us to to, to turn from our sin and, and to run to you. And so, Father, I thank you because there was nothing within me, Father, when I was 12 years old that deserved that. There was nothing within me naturally, Father. It was just your eyes opening my life to my own sin and my need for a Savior. And then you showed me the beauty of the cross where this gift was that you would give your only son to die in my place so that justice could be done. And then there was no need for revenge because everything has been satisfied. And oh, how we pray for those that, Father, today are still in that 20-year cycle where they really try hard for a little while and, and, Father, they just kind of come back to their own sinfulness. Give us patience like you have patience. Give us grace like you have grace. Give us love like you have love. And give us hope, Father, that you are a pursuing God and that you're not finished with this person yet. We love you and we thank you. And we sing this song now, Father, as a testimony of what you've done in our lives and what you desire to do in the lives of many. As we pray this in the hope of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, 
you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.